Welcome, everybody, and thanks for joining us on episode 18 of Health Talk with Dr. Kell. Last week, we started a four-part series called Inflammation and the Autoimmune Response. We talked about nutritional triggers for inflammation with Dr. Kell and Ted Hahn, a clinical nutritionist. Ted's favorite quote is, if it doesn't have fins, feathers, fur, or grow out of the earth, don't eat it. A good place to start is to cut down on hard alcohols and sugars, which cause an inflammatory response in the body. Today, in part two, we will discuss the physical triggers for inflammation in the body, which are injury and infection. Injury is an act that damages or hurts. Examples of injury are abrasions, lacerations, hematomas, broken bones, joint dislocations, sprains, strains, and burns. Most of us have had an injury at some point in our life, whether it was an acute one, which resulted from a single traumatic event such as a car accident or a sports injury, or an overuse injury, which was subtle and occurred over time, like many athletes are experiencing in midlife. Infection occurs when another organism enters your body and causes disease. The organisms that cause infections can include things like viruses, bacteria, fungi, and parasites. If you're living and breathing, you have dealt with an infection in your life. Your immune system is built to recognize and kill all invaders. Today, we will answer the questions, what is inflammation? How does exercise help or hurt the body's immune system? What is going on in the body during exercise? Does injury affect the immune system? And what causes long-term inflammatory conditions such as asthma, colitis, Crohn's disease, arthritis, vasculitis, and nephritis? Let's jump in. Welcome to episode 18 of Health Talk with Dr. Cal. I'm Nikki Sterner, and today we are joined by Dr. Cal and Eric, our producer. Whoop, whoop. Thanks for being with us, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> so today we're going to get started with um, a quote that I really liked. And that quote is, The only limit to our realization of tomorrow will be our doubts of today, by Franklin D. Roosevelt. What does that Thank mean you, to you? Nikki. What does welcome. that mean to me? And what does that mean to you? <clears throat> Stop doubting. Yeah. Believe. Have faith that you can succeed. Yeah, absolutely. We do have these thoughts in our heads that tend to hold us back. I know I have in my life. All the time. We yeah. all do. Yeah. Doubts are constantly showering us throughout the day. So how do we you get rid to, of those? Uh, get, a, get a good umbrella. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's a future there podcast. There you go. Mental umbrellas. I like that. There we go. Yeah. I like that. All right. Let's also do um, some health news of the day. Health news of the day. TBHQ. Do you know what that is, Nikki? Um, tell me about it, please. TBHQ. Tert Butyl hydroquinone. Did you want to say that? That's what I was going to say. Tert butyl hydroquinone. Nobody knows what that means. It's been in the news. <laughs> been in the news lately and it's 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 a concern with immunity because we're talking about immunity today, right? Yes. And uh, inflammation. So that's the topic of the day, but I wanted to talk a little bit about this article from uh, the Environmental Working Group recently and, and this has been in the news, so maybe our listeners have heard this as well since COVID is such a big deal. We're all concerned about the function of our immune system and here they say a food a food preservative used to prolong the shelf life of Pop-Tarts, Rice Krispie treats, Cheez-Its, and almost 1,250 other popular processed foods may harm the immune system, according to a new peer-reviewed study by the Environmental Working Group. So, it is a concern, and the other concern, the BTHQ is a part of a family of uh, polyfluoral alkyl substances, or referred to as PFAS, P-F-A-S-S. Okay. And these substances are in packaging products all over the place. Many foods are, BTHQ specifically is a preservative put in foods to help prolong the life of foods. Um, these mm -hmm. other 
things the the many of the PFAFs are uh, used in packaging and they also have been shown to compromise the immune system um, or at least reduce its ability to function. Um, so what's it doing to your immune system to yeah. prevent it from doing its thing? The process of when something happens. So a uh, pathogen enters your body or you know your immune Chemical. system actually reacts. If a pathogen just breaks the skin, gets through the skin, you'll have an immune response. And you get injured, you'll have an immune response. And in that process, you have the T cells and B cells coming from the bone marrow, from typically the long bones of the legs, go up, going up to the thymus, and that's where the T cells specifically are changed. That process slows down, becomes inhibited, doesn't react as quickly when these substances are flowing through your blood, bloodstream. It's also found, there's studies, let's see here, let me read a couple of wait, things. Wait, 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 so it's, it slows down your body's ability to go on attack? For that process to take place, because what happens is those, those B cells and T cells, the B cells come out of your bones, they go all around your body um, and start fighting the whatever's coming in. Your T cells are changed in your thymus gland to specific jobs. Um, some of them are turned into what they do, um, and we talked about this last week, Ted went into it in detail, so I don't want to go too much into detail again, but in that process, certain substances in our body affect it, slow it down, or there's several steps that take place in different substances created in the body to help fight infection and injury and heal injury. And uh, in that whole process, certain things exposed to in the environment either break links in the process. For instance, Ted talked about how sugar in and of itself attaches to the receptor sites of cells and then it doesn't allow vitamin C to attach to the cells mm -hmm. and it can, right. can lower immunity. So in this case, here we got uh, human epidemiology study shows that PFAFs suppress immune function and decrease vaccine e efficacy. So vaccines are not working as well. Recently published research has found a link between high levels of PFAFs in the blood and the severity of COVID-19 symptoms. They, uh, so we found that very interesting. So you're saying by eating Pop-Tarts, I have a better chance of getting COVID? Um, <laughs> it, 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 we, we, you know what, I'm, I'm not to declare anything here on the show other than research shows that it it does affect your body's immune system. You know, if you have a very strong immune system, you know, there's bound to be people that get COVID and don't ever have, uh, their body immediately reacts to it. There are no symptoms. Of course, they say out there, they're telling us that those are the carriers. Um, they can carry COVID around without symptoms. Well, we know within 10 days or so that, you know, you don't have any symptoms for the first little while anyway. But some people have very mild symptoms. Some people have no symptoms when they get the virus. And some people have massive reactions to the virus all the way to death, right? So we're just saying and bringing up this information because it's one more thing that affects our immune system. And we want our immune system to be strong. So what is the real answer to all this? Stop eating processed foods as much as you can. Reduce your intake of things that you find. Uh, Ted used it last week, and now I can't remember the whole thing. But fe yeah. uh, anyway, I like what? Yeah, feathers, fins, and fur. Oh, right? I have it. Yeah, feathers, fins. Oh, did you write that down, Nikki? I did. Hey, well, Nikki, you'll find the quote. Yeah, but I like what he was saying too about the grocery store and staying on the perimeter, right? Because all the good foods for you on the perimeter yeah. of the store, and stay out of the middle, because that's where all those process. Absolutely. Yep. Hey, here's another tidbit here from this article. It says chemicals linked to health harms can be legally added to packaged foods because the FDA frequently allows food manufacturers to determine which chemicals are safe. Additives like TBHQ were approved by the FDA decades ago, and the agency does not consider new science to reassess the safety of food chemicals. How do you like that one? Wow. The uh, EWG, oh, also wanted to mention that about EWG. These guys do a lot of research, and they're really a good group. 
And PWG uh, Food Scores database helps consumers find products made with healthier alternatives. And our healthy living apps allow shoppers to scan products while in stores to choose a better option. So you want to go to EWG. They, they have all, provide all kinds of information and good for consumer resources. So we'll find a link on our, on our website for that as well. So they have an app that you can basically scan yeah. the product and find out what's in it. Yeah, pretty cool. Huh? I've used it before. Oh, you oh, have? Uh-huh. Okay. They also have it yeah. for like um, cosmetic products and yeah toiletries that sort of thing yeah yep yeah very good very good that's what i wanted to bring up about that article do you guys have any questions about that we could do a whole podcast about this we could yeah (laughs) makes me rethink some of my uh christmas presents to my kids you know the big rice krispie bar (laughs) that's probably not a good one (laughs) one of of the reasons they use these substances is because it uh it makes them slipperier so when they're packaging something they can move across reduces friction um the other reason is it uh, preserves things in, mm-hmm. in the foods, and it also creates a leak-proof barrier. So they'll often put it inside, uh, put it on uh, things like paper, uh, like wax paper, things oh, like that. Uh-huh. Your wax paper at home could could have some of these substance on it, oh. and and you don't know. So so uh, make sure you're getting the good stuff. I'm sure the yeah. app from EWG will probably tell you if you scan the wax paper uh, product in, in, in your grocery store. Don't eat yeah. the paper. <laughs> don't let your babies don't eat it. Don't eat the paper. <laughs> you know yeah, they really, love the we all think that, oh, it's just paper. You know, no big deal. Well, now we know. All right, so let's go into today's topic, which is exercise and injury, immunity and inflammation in the body. So I'm excited to get into that with you because I think a lot of us tend to have pain throughout our body and we're wondering why inflammation may be causing it. Yes. Sounds like. <clears throat> Most of the time in your body, if you feel pain, it's because pressure has been applied to the pain nerve nerve pain receptors, and that pressure is typically caused by inflammation. And what um, is inflammation? Like for instance, you can pinch yourself or poke yourself, and you go, ow. That's because you've just <laughs> activated the pressure sensors in your nerves. And uh, so if th- something swells up, a lot of fluid goes to an area, you'll feel more pain. Reduce the pain, get rid of the inflammation. So inflammation is just a response? Well, let me read this definition. I like this definition of, of, of inflammation here. It says, inflammation is the body's normal response to injuries or infections. You may often hear... The word, the words infection and inflammation together, but they mean very different things. Mm-hmm. Infection refers to the invasion and multiplication of a pathogen within the body, while inflammation is the body's protective response against infection. Inflammation is a complex process involving various types of immune cells, clotting proteins, and signaling molecules, all of which change over time. Yeah, so like when my son broke his wrist, swelled up because of all those things flowing to the site of injury, is what you're saying? Yes, the, the response, the initial response to the body, whether a pathogen enter, in, enters the body or you get an injury, is very similar. The body recognizes innately that after an injury or or if a pathogen enters, that it needs to go do something. So when a pathogen enter, enters your body, whether it's bacteria, virus, fungus, as they attach to the cells, they begin the cells begin to die or they get altered. And um, so what the body's immune response does is it goes, if there's an in, Infection occurring, it goes to um, counter the infection, um, recognize what that pathogen is, m- put a marker on it, and then send in the the, the little ninja warriors to uh, to kill them, <laughs> to kill it. And then there, it will also start breaking down the injured cells or the dead cells. So in case of an injury, all that's going on to the injury as well because you, you're not getting the uh, antigen effect or you don't need the ninja warriors necessarily immediately unless that injury leads to an infection, which is 
not uncommon if it's a broken wound or an open wound. Mm. But um, um, if it's not an open wound and it's internally, it's not associated with a pathogen, uh, it's just damage that the body has to heal. So it follows a similar process, doesn't create all the same um, things in the process as it would if you had a pathogen enter you, enter you. but uh, they are very similar in the process of creating the T cells and the B cells, the white blood cells as they leave the bone marrow, all that is 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 basically uh, that inflammation response is a beginning of the process, whether you're infected by a pathogen or injured. Makes sense? So Nikki brought up breaking a bone, and obviously your arm's going to swell up trying to figure out what's going on there. If I strain a muscle on my back working out or twist my ankle or something like that, is it the same concept where it's yes. coming in there to try to fight that and heal your body? Yes, and that's an interesting point today a lot a lot of times in sports uh, professional sports especially they discovered the quicker they can get the inflammation out or, out of there the quicker they can get the athlete back performing whatever it is they do that's why you're going to ice it immediately right like, right that's mm. the ice bath you know we ice one of the things they found by not doing anything is that inflammation cycle sometimes the body doesn't reach its shutoff point properly suppressor t cell suppressors are what shut that system off and um, a normal healthy human being should go through the process after an injury because the body is going through a process of healing and fixing the area that's injured you shut that process down and now it doesn't heal and correct heal correctly but if if you're somebody like athletes for instance they're injuring themselves all the time their system's working on overdrive all the time you know they they tend to especially professional athletes at least most of them try to eat in a healthy way, uh, although maybe their first years when they're, I'm an athlete and go out partying all the time isn't so good. <laughs> uh, we hear all those stories, right? The point is that the initial phase of inflammation is very important and very important to the healing process. You don't want to immediately shut it down. The reason we throw ice on it, the reason we do deep tissue work to get the inflammation out of there is because what we talked about a little a few minutes ago. You get rid of the inflammation, the pain goes away. So guess what happens to an athlete when his pain, you get rid of that pain really quick because you, th- you flush that inflammation out of there fast. Now what? You go back to working out. You go back working out on something that isn't healed yeah. completely. Especially with professional athletes, you know, they're all about winning the game. And so they want to get that guy out there winning the game. And then they'll, if they can get the pain gone now, even if they're going out there injuring themselves, maybe even a little more. But if they can get out there and they're not hurting, they can still do all the stuff they're supposed to be doing. And that's why they get paid the big bucks, right? Yeah. Sacrifice the player to win right. the game, right? Right. And, and so that one game really matters. And so if that wins that game, so they, they, they're, you know, I don't totally understand the psychology behind all of it, but obviously part of it is um, they figure they can. Uh, um, then rehab the person after the game's over and, and uh, work through it that way. So you're saying if I do get injured, wait for the inflammation to come in, subside, and then <clears throat> ice day later, later that night? Well, when you go to a trainer or, or to a physical therapist, even a chiropractor, after an injury, they're going to tell you to put, put ice on it. That's just the standard, okay? Because it reduces pain. Its actual physiological effect is probably not as beneficial as you might think. But yeah, if, if you're finding that within the first 24 to 48 hours, if you want to follow the process and deal with the pain, which most of us don't because we're all kind of wimpy, uh, do I ice after an injury? Yeah, I, I admit it. Um, I try to avoid taking anti-inflammatories, but hey, if you can't stand it, you know, you do what you got to do. Uh, pain, they say, is one of the most significant things that we will pay anything to get rid of. Yeah. In fact, there was times where they, years and years and years ago, they'd go in and cut those nerves uh, that were feeding the pain fibers of people with chronic pain only to discover they 
it was pretty difficult to just hit the pain fibers. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, wow, that might be kind of cool. <laughs> but it they, didn't work, huh? <laughs> and the day may come where science, you know, goes on to a point to where, I mean, what are we doing with analgesics and different drugs and things that's inhibiting those pain fibers? Um, can, you know, will they figure out a way, some way to where, where, well, the other drawback to that, though, there's been people out there born with, with very few or no pain fibers in their body. They don't tend to live very long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pain, Risk takers. You know, you, you uh, um, really, seriously, the, uh, you're exactly right. So that's a concern as well. So what is the cycle of that inflammation and all that? When when should I ice then? Is there an ideal time period? Well, I'm not going to tell anybody not to ice right away because that's the standard. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, if, if you really want to go through what's probably natural for your body, I'd give it 42 to 72 hours. If the inflammation isn't going going away by then, yeah, use some ice. But usually the initial phase, especially if it's an internal injury, will cycle through that. And uh, ultimately the body will take care of everything, heal it properly, and, and then you go on. The chronic inflammation can cause uh, things like myofascial adhesions. And I don't know that we really talked much about that before a little bit, but that's where the inflammatory process doesn't shut off completely or the tissues as they heal. There's, uh, I, be, I personally believe, though I can't prove this and haven't taken the time or looked into it significantly enough, but I think part of the reason those adhesions form is because of the way we treat the injury today, um, where we don't let it fully go through its cycle. Um, we try to shut it off and shut it down too soon. And then I, I believe that one of the things that you get there is a chronic mild inflammation because the system hasn't totally shut down or shut off like it should have. And one of the one of the reasons we do what's called uh, myofascial therapy, where you you do deep kneading of 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 the muscle, where you have an adhesion, which is basically the tissues all sticking together, almost kind of like an internal scar. If the and there will be a scar inside of very hard tissue if you tore it like you would, you know, you can get a gash in the outside of skin. You can actually tear the muscle fibers in, in internally, and then they got to heal. When they heal, they heal with harder tissue. And so by getting in there, if there's pain, you get in there and work work through that. Um, and it's not <clears throat> very fun therapy, though. We have tools and devices today that, that reduce the, the pain that used to exist when you were doing those forms of therapy that break up those adhesions and also stop that chronic inflammatory process from going on. So so we're talking about physical triggers for inflammation, and we've talked about injury. Let's talk about exercise. How does exercise help or hurt the body's <clears throat> immune system and the response? Big thought for many people. Uh, the research shows that um, 20, 30 minutes of, of mild to moderate exercise today is very good for the immune system. One of the things that occur when you begin to exercise is it actually causes an increased production in, in the white blood cell count uh, within the first 90 minutes or so to three hours after you finish exercising like that, you'll maintain those levels. And what's interesting is you've increased your blood flow throughout the body. So now all those little little immune fighters are spread out throughout the body and sitting there waiting. For instance, I mean, you think of innate benefit. Let's say I go out and exercise. What am I saying to, to my body internally when I begin exercising? When the heart tar starts pumping faster, the blood starts flowing throughout the body, I'm kind of giving my body a warning because when do injuries most often occur? When you're doing that. You're, yeah, so physical. it's the body, the body's preparing for a potential injury or a entry of a pathogen. So it, it, and that's innately why it does that. And so those 
little bug and injury fighters are spread out throughout your body for about three hours after exercise ends. It, it is very important to your immune system to have a daily form of exercise. And again, it's recommended through research, 20 to 30 minutes a day. You know, I, w- I would say five, six days max. You, you do need a break. You do need to rest here and there <clears throat> in between. So is... Is there such a thing as too much exercise? Well, we had Gina, running with Gina. She was on the show a few episodes ago, mm-hmm. and uh, we kind of talked about that a little bit. Uh, Gina mentioned that she uh, she's feeling sick. She'll go out and run. Um, oh. they, uh, I don't recommend that. That was We didn't tell her that during the podcast. But, uh, <laughs> um, it depended and, on and, the illness, too. If you've got yes. you know, stomach issues, she's not saying go out and run. Right, right. But if you're feeling a little mm. sick, like maybe a little nauseous, or you think you're coming down with a bug... Not an uncommon thing, and they do claim, you know, runners mm-hmm. claim that they feel, can feel better. So I suppose if you're just getting a, just a sense of I'm not feeling just quite right, mm-hmm. maybe going out and, and doing some light exercise might not be a bad idea because it does trigger your immune response. Um, mm-hmm. So from that perspective, I could see where it would could be beneficial if you get it right in the beginning stages. But if you're if if, if you're like been laying in bed and you're like I got to get up and and run because I have been laying in this bed for two, three days. I don't recommend it at that point. If you're, you know, on, if you're on week two of so COVID, if, maybe don't yeah. go run a marathon. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I always go back to Jack Belaine. That's what killed him. He went out and he was feeling sick and, and would not, and had, I mean, his was more severe. He had pneumonia, but he still went out and worked, did his normal routine, and that was just too much for his heart. Comes back to use common sense. Um, but I wanted to compare, since we mentioned Gina, uh, marathon runners. Uh, research, you know, they, for a while there, they thought that marathon runners' extensive exercise and prolonged exercise was damaging the immune system. More research has been done to show that that may not be the case. One of the reasons marathon runners, you know, they've called off all these marathons around the country because of COVID. One of the reasons they did that is because think think about what goes on at a marathon. You got thousands of people all grouped tightly together in a small area right before the race starts. We've been just watching too. Yeah, that's true. Spectators, yeah. everybody. Um, they're all there together and they're all breathing and they're all spreading whatever germs they're carrying in their body. And, you know, as an adult, most of those things that are spreading all around you, you've already been a affected by and got immunity to, but the new stuff, you know, is there. So that's why. So the other issue that they've discovered and thought about is the psychology behind it. Stress can lower your immune system, and we're going to talk about that in another podcast. But there's a lot of stress involved in those same kinds of events. You know, just think about Gina said she, you know, we joked about her, her being able to review her tired life while running a marathon or uh, things like that. She reviews her life as she's running to kind of pass the time, just... Something to do. <laughs> yeah, she oh. said that's the biggest problem with running a marathon. Typically, is it's it's not it's kind of a boring activity, oh. and and your brain is free to think, you know, while you're running because you're you know your your body's just automatically going through the motions, and it can be very boring. And yeah. so she recommends people come up with things to think about or go through, pass the time. <laughs> She mentioned to on her, uh, yeah, she mentioned on her first marathon, too, she passed, like, an ER, and then she passed the cemetery. And oh, she's like, Jesus. where's this going? <laughs> Got her a little concerned. So stress, yeah. right? She, it made her stressed out, wondering, because she was not feeling well. Uh, and she had the uh, also had the stress fractures in her feet, so she was in pain. Oh, ouch. So uh, um, so there you go. With, with that, uh, if you're a marathon runner... Um, uh, if, if you want to protect yourself when you go to run the marathon, maybe you want to wear the mask, though I'm not convinced about Running the full benefit the mask. of masks. No, I'm just I'm just saying if if you're gonna no, you want to take the mask off once the once you once you get going because breathing yeah. through that mask <laughs> like, is not um. going to be good. 
However, when you're sitting there surrounded by thousands of people, if, if you're worried about anything, you know, try to protect yourself in some way or another because you're stuck in there, so you're exposed to whatever's there. That's the only thing that might reduce somewhat your exposure. Other than that, and try to do something to um, psychologically for yourself to, to keep in a good mood, to keep uh, reduce your stress as much as possible because those are the things that appear not so much the exercise or the long-term exercise, but, but all the things you're exposed to during that long-term exercise, uh, the physiological effects and psychological effects that may help contrib- contribute to the compromise or, or lowering your, your immune response. You mean like, why am I running this far? Yeah, if you start psychologically, (laughs) you know, I'm sure for many people, especially if it's their first marathon, when they get to the end, the last few miles can be very grueling, especially if they're in a lot of pain. I can imagine. Um, And, or, you know, their breathing is, you know, difficult, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, That that in itself causes psychological, uh, you know, effects and suppression of the system. Does injury affect the immune system? Yes. And, And we kind of talked a little bit about that, but that's what that injury triggers the immune response. And so that's what's the body's sending all those white blood cells there to, when you get an injury, there's cells dying. So it's sending stuff there to eat the cells, get rid of the waste. And in the case of an injury, as opposed to a pathogen, um, the body's not uh, treating the tissue as if it needs to kill anything. It's not going there to kill any cells. So when you get injured, and so say you got injured and then you got sick, is your body so focused on the injury that it's not able to take care of the invader? Yeah, you can overload your system. That's an overload. You know, and that, that's a concern, I think, of the marathon runner, too, is overloading the system when someone becomes really affected it toward the end of the race and exhausted. Then um, they're exhausted because they've depleted their energy stores, not so much that they've affected the function of the white blood cells, but the fact that they're weaker, uh, the system becomes weaker, the, the organs are depleted too of their nutrients and all that, then all of a sudden, yes, they become, I would say, more susceptible to any pathogens that might enter the body. So in the case of an injury, yeah, if you have an injury and then, and then are exposed to a pathogen, if the body's in the process of correcting the injury, uh, depending on how it's affecting your immune system, if, if it's really overloaded trying to fix the injury, then you would be more susceptible to that pathogen. However, because during an injury, the uh, ninja cells that are there to kill the pathogens really have been at rest that whole time. Now they they get to go to work. So, so they're there and fresh, ready to go. It just really depends. To someone who already has a a compromised immune system, they're going to be affected by it much more than someone who's healthy. I was thinking, but this might be a future episode for inflammation. Where does stress fall in there? Because somebody who's like working a lot and stressed out and then all of a sudden, bam, they come down with this really, you know, Well, it is tied to the physical because emotions affect all the processes in the body. And uh, if the emotions are good, they actually benefit the function of the body. If the emotions are negative, uh, they do the opposite. They actually suppress the immune system. But the side of pain, what occurs is when you're, most people carry their, you know, you always say, oh, I've got all my stress in my shoulders around my neck. And that is a common place. What happens as you're dealing with anxiety, your sympathetic nervous system is kicked in. So your, your adrenaline levels have increased. You're overtaxing your adrenal glands and you get muscle spasm occurring during that spat that spasm causes inflammation twitching in the eye i get that yes. <laughs> like, yes. i know what you're talking about <laughs> yes and 
yeah, twitching in the eye is a common common one with uh, people who are too stressed out. And so those muscles become activated, the nervous system, everything is activated, and so that draws more fluid to an area uh, and does cause swelling in, in the area. You know, chronic swelling in the, in the trapezius muscles of the shoulder is very common to someone who's stressed out a lot, and the paraspinal muscles of the neck. So what about long-term chronic inflammatory conditions such as asthma, colitis? <clears throat> yeah, see, the, the, the chronic inflammation, we've been talking about acute inflammation so far. Chronic inflammation is, uh, and acute inflammation is when it... Short-term. Short-term. Short-term chronic is, what happens is the, the inflammatory process in the body doesn't shut off. The, the T suppressor cells that, the, that are created by the body, either, you know, we, it, it's still... Chronic inflammation is still being researched heavily. You know, they've come up with a lot of drugs that alter symptoms, but nothing that really works to the sense where it boosts the body's T-cell function to shut down the process. So only guessing here, a conclusion to all the things I've read, is that um, as that process takes place, uh, something's inhibiting the T-cells. Not only, not only does it not... Shut down. Shut down. <laughs> it is amplified. Oh, um, yeah. So now it treats certain parts of your own body as foreign substances and tries to destroy them. So basically, it's like, for instance, when you get a pathogen in your body, the uh, white blood cells, um, they go at work and, and a certain part of those white blood cells recognize the antigen or the, or the pathogen and they put a marker on it. So then the killer T cells, the little ninja cells, can recognize, hey, destroy that. Um, so in the case of your uh, immune system or, or some of these autoimmune diseases, the, uh, what's happening is, it, it, is the system is actually putting markers on healthy cells. And then the little ninja guys are coming around and start killing the good cells. Um, are you talking about autoimmune? Yes. Okay. Yes, and so the the uh, your body's basically uh, beginning to kill itself, um, and little cell by cell. Fortunately, you got millions of them, and the body's constantly producing new ones, so it's not typically an instant death, but it is a process that's occurring. And uh, you know they've created drugs to try to you know stop the process, but most of it's a band aid. Do you but, honestly believe that the body is attacking itself or do you think that there's something in there that it's attacking? Well, it is attacking itself. It it is. That's a good question though. Is there something hidden in there that not yeah. recognizes it's still present? Right. I don't know why it couldn't be a possibility. But uh something's something's causing the system to not shut off and other mm. things are causing the system to be amplified. In the case of a myofascial adhesion, it it, it it's a case of not fully shutting down, but it's in a mild state. In the case of diseases like as, you know, we, we can talk about some uh, Crohn's disease, arthritis, arthritis. Those are things that diseases where the system not only doesn't shut down, it's now amplified. Yeah. The natural solution to an autoimmune problem. And one of the reasons I believe that autoimmune problems begin and continue is because your body's unhealthy. The system's not working like it should. You've, you've altered it because you've been eating poorly for years um, or you've been exposed to environmental toxins. The, uh, something has trashed your system and made it weak. And so now when it's trying to function, it kicks into a, uh, a state of dysfunction. The uh, more and more research is showing, though, a big part of immunity and autoimmunity, and Ted talked about this 
last week was dysfunction of the gastrointestinal tract or the gut, you know, and mainly, specifically, the large and small intestine. The stomach is a big one, though, too, because people are constantly doing stupid things like taking antacids. Um, they, uh, um, apologize. They, I apologize. <laughs> right now. You're not stupid. You're just doing what you've been told to do. That's right. And, and you find some benefit from it uh, because it does reduce stomach acid and the burning does go down, but it actually long-term is damaging your system even more. The answers to correcting your your gut acid is to... One of the reasons you, you have the reflux and the problems you do is because your body is not, uh, you're, you're, it's not producing the acid properly, the function of the, of the uh, cells in your, um, in your stomach that produce the acids uh, are dysfunctioning. You're not getting enough acid, uh, which that means you're not digesting your food quickly enough, which means it sits in your stomach longer than it should, which means then you burp it up and you get acid reflux and burning in your throat or, or pain in your stomach. Um, so you throw in an, an antacid, that reduces the acid even more, which slows down your digestive process even more. Mm -hmm. But because the acid level is a little lower, you burp and, and you don't get the burning. Um, the, uh, and that's really what you're after because you've got the acid reflux, you've, you've irritated your esophagus, and, and so your throat is burning all the time uh, after eating a fatty or high-protein meal because that's... Those are the two things that the process of breaking those down, it begins in the stomach, and when it is slowed down, then you get the spasm of the stomach muscles, you get the reflux into your throat, and you get the burning. And, and as we said before, people will do anything to get rid of pain, so reach for the antacid. But if you really want to fix the problem, that's not the answer. Uh, the answer is to eat healthy, get rid of the processed foods in your diet, don't eat heavy uh, fat and protein meals, uh, a lot of it at once, and uh, as you heal yourself through proper eating, that whole process begins to heal as well. There are a lot of natural supplements out there that help increase the stomach acid in your stomach, which speeds up the digestive process in your stomach and moves the food out faster. Uh, we, we dispense those to patients all the time and have great success with that. Is that, that the, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, is that the Zypan? Zypan is one of those, yeah, yeah. bystander process. Go ahead. I was gonna say this is really interesting. So I have somebody in my life. I'm not gonna mention who they are because they might listen to this someday, and I don't want them to be embarrassed. <laughs> but they have been overweight for most of their life, and they're on all these trending diets. You know, South Beach diet, Atkins diet, keto diets. And they're always trying to lose weight and eat all these interesting ways. And you describe this. They've had all those problems. They have tons of indigestion problems. They have mm -hmm. tons of um, acid buildup, and they're taking all these, uh, you know, tums and things like that to try mm -hmm. to get rid of that pain and. Uh, just they're not on a natural path to try to heal this stuff so they go see doctors and doctors are prescribing all these crazy things for them and mm. it's just well no no eric no don't put down the sorry, doctors sorry they're, they're doing the best they can their list of prescriptions yeah. keeps growing but yeah. the prescriptions and, are causing issues and they're just not able to eat anything and now it's just oh. like once they consume anything i mean even oatmeal it's just like right through their body and it just oh, destroys wow. everything in yeah. there and they trash their eat, whole digestive yeah. pro process and so like they are fearful of eating but they have to eat obviously to stay alive but every meal of the day it's just like oh. they're down for a couple of hours after that wow. and it's, it's, it's hard to see that yeah and i think what that's doing to their immune system yeah yeah I mean, they're in their mid-30s, and oh. this is what they're oh. going through right now. Yeah. That's Most stressful. people, you know, it's, it's funny. It, they say only about 50% of the population will go see a, a, a chiropractic doctor or, or a nutritionist or um, uh, acupuncturist, all, all the alternative healthcare people, you know, uh, naturopaths, et cetera. You know, we, we um, treat certain conditions in the body a little differently 
in each alternative way. But when it comes back to nutrition and the function of the body, we're all under the same understanding of, of how that works. And, and all these people are, are getting good training. And, and so my point being there is with only 15, roughly 15% of the population going to see these types of people, a lot of people only go see them when they're at the, in the on their last leg. Yeah. They uh, are dealing with the problems that Eric just described. And now they're in a state of, I will virtually try anything. And we got a lot of those patients. They've tried everything else. Didn't work for them. So now they're here in our office. And, and I'd say 90 plus percent we get good success with. There are people that, I hate to say it, sometimes people reach a point of such extreme illness, they're beyond help. Yeah. Uh, their, their gastrointestinal tract is so damaged, um, it's, it's tough to fix. Uh, so if you're having problems, get in and see somebody now. Don't wait until you're so sick that maybe you resort. can't yeah. you know but even the even i i remember hearing a story years ago about a woman who she had uh, small intestine issues um and even to the point to where a small part of her intestine got sick and died so the doctors oh. went in and cut out that section and literally over the next 10 years until she died they kept taking pieces of her intestine out because it kept dying oh. and, and 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 she never got to a point Finally, she came uh, or went to uh, someone who could help her nutritionally. But by then, though everything that was done uh, helped them improve, ultimate, ultimately the system collapsed. And uh, she, I don't remember exactly what the official diagnosis was, but um, she had reached a state where she wasn't, uh, you know, that small intestine is where all those, all those little micronutrients are entering your body and then going into to the liver, through the liver and then out to the, the rest of, the, of your system through the bloodstream and uh, she wasn't able to absorb you know and, and that's the other issue too people ought to, a lot of people don't understand when they decide to make a change and go on a new diet a new program and try to get healthy it takes a while uh, it can take you know really three to six months to a lot of people feel better fairly quickly within you know sometimes within two three days they notice a difference but a real change in, in in actual function of your internal systems takes a long time. You're, as you're eating better, you're restoring your good flora in your gut, and that's so important in your immune system. If your system, immune, if your gut is overloaded with uh, bad uh, microbes, then it affects your immune system to the point because that creates chronic inflammation in the system. So now what you've done is you kicked in your immune system to run all the time, and it's it, and it's overloaded. Uh, which then makes you more susceptible to catching bugs and also uh, recovering from an injury because your system is... Uh, if your intestinal tract is in a chronic state of inflammation, that's one of the reasons why your your immune system doesn't shut down. Because, it, for instance, let's say on your arm. Let's say I cut my arm today. A little cut on my arm. And then it started healing. <laughs> and then I cut myself again in another spot. And it started healing. Cut it myself in another spot start healing. All of a sudden I got several things happening at once and it's harder for the body to deal with it. The, uh, so anyway, Overloaded. It's, it's, it's so important that uh, you keep that health process going, restore your normal flora, keep things healthy in your gut and the rest of it and keep putting in the healthy stuff. The rest of it will work normally. Uh, like I said when I was speaking with Ted that uh, I'm not a big veggie eater. I, I, I don't 
broccoli. I don't care for the much taste of broccoli or, or asparagus. Um, I like what? carrots and celery and lettuce and tomatoes and, and cucumbers and those kinds of things. But I, there's certain things I, I don't really care for. They have good nutrients in them. So I get them through my supplements. But I like that because you don't have to eat everything. You can supplement. Yeah, it is more expensive. Yeah. It is more expensive. But yeah, you can do that. But you, again, just because you're eating those supplements doesn't mean you can go out and eat all the crap. Although I, I, tr- <laughs> I like the... Uh, when you consider seven days in a week, I like the rule... Of uh, you know if if you got if you got to have some junk in your diet and and for most of us we do there there are a small minority that we all hate that are strong all the time and they don't have to have any sweets ever or or any of those other it's things that we consider junk food. <laughs> I would recommend to people if you are a little bit like me and I kind of follow this in my own way and and maybe it doesn't give me optimum health. You know when you consider the ideas of good, better, and best, I'd say it's the better one. It's not the it's not the best way, but it's the better way. And then you got the good way, with which is, is a little less. But well, you got seven days in a week. I would say five out of those seven days, focus on eating healthy. One, two other days in the week, have if you got to have a little bit, it's probably okay. But it shouldn't be the other way around, where you're trying to eat good for two days a week and five <laughs> days a week eating crap. That's not gonna. That's not gonna make up the difference. Somebody who's really good, they're eating good every day, all day. They don't need the garbage any, anymore. And and I gotta say, you know, I've had times in my life where I, you know, like I talked about before, being eating a lot of junk when I was a kid. And I, I have to admit, there have been small bouts throughout my life where, you know, due to extreme stressors in my life, I tended to eat more garbage food. And that is a common thing too for people because it it tends to give them a feeling of feeling a little better for a short time Mm -hmm. but guess what if you if you eat a solid diet of fruits and vegetables um, and what we talked about before last week if you can have a diet of roughly 75 percent fruits and vegetables and grains and then 20 25 percent of 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 meat proteins you're on target You're, you're doing well and you try to make those as organic as you can and as rate, you know, the meats, as I always say, fish is top number one. Um, if you just had fish and no other meats, you're getting the healthiest meat protein possible. Although now today all our concerns are what's happening in the oceans. Yeah, heavy metals, right? You've got to be concerned about that. Yeah. There, there is a concern there. So once again, I would follow the same rule of 25%. But but still, I, I believe, you know, they do lots of testing and studying of the of the content of the heavy metals in the fish. Again, you know, they they say the mercury, for instance, that is found in tuna, um, which is the number one issue because it's a neurological problem that can really affect your immune system if you get an overabundance of mercury in you. If 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 you eat a lot of tuna all the time and and that's eighty percent of your diet, which from or or other types of fish, then it, yeah, be concerned. But uh, I wouldn't eat farm raised, not just because of the way they feed them and their lack of. You know they're corralled. Um, what they feed farm them? Farm-raised tuna. Farm, farm, farm-raised fish. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, salmon is a big one. A lot of people don't even realize I'll never buy farm-raised salmon. Why is, is that? It, is it better than eating nothing? Sure. You know, are people going to argue with me that hey, it's still okay to eat. Go ahead. I don't care. You eat whatever you want. I'm better not going to. Um, <laughs> yeah, better than pop-tarts. Yeah, better than pop-tarts. But uh, um, what was your question, Nick? I'm sorry. What do they feed the farm-raised fish? Um, they feed them little pellets of nutrients. Uh, you know, to be honest, I don't know exactly what the nutrients on there, but chances are they're not the not the best. And maybe we'll have to look that up and share that on a future. So it's kind of like podcast, like uh, specifically what's in fish pellets. But uh, its coloring is in there. Uh, they color it. Uh, farm 
A lot of people don't know that farm-raised salmon, the meat when you cut it open is gray, so they have to add coloring to it to turn it red to make it look like regular salmon. But they're not having heavy metals in that. The, well, it's a, they, these, most of these farms if it's, it's, it, are in the ocean. They're cordoned off area in, in an ocean, oh, in a bay really? where they... Yeah. Uh, where they? I was just thinking like SeaWorld. Where they, they raise them. fish. Yeah. <laughs> they, well, there are there are those two tilapia. I remember in, when I lived in Colorado in Central Colorado, they had a really cool place. If you're ever in Central Colorado, go see the tilapia fish farm. It's kind of cool. Um, we'll put a link. We'll find a link for them on our on, on our website. But it's kind of cool. They have alligators and tilapia. They raise tilapia in all these ponds. And you know what? I wouldn't eat the what? tilapia, but it was kind of fun to go to the farm. But the alligators. Uh, the, the alligators were there because <laughs> they would eat the waste. And uh, and the alligators are what you want to go see of course those are the cool parts in fact we have a picture of, of us and our our kids holding a little baby alligator mm-hmm. it was kind of fun mm-hmm. um did you so, do the picture where they do it toward the camera where the gator looks like really huge i think i don't remember but probably this was many years yeah. ago so you guys have been we, we've to done one of those one in florida yeah yeah yeah, they're cool. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's weird because alligators in Colorado. You know, I think they're yeah, the only alligators weird. in Colorado. But they imported, oh, yeah. <laughs> they, <laughs> they imported the alligators, and they said it was kind of difficult to do, apparently, because they're, you know, <laughs> who wants alligators in Colorado? But obviously uh, it's interesting where the pools are, where they raise the fish and have the alligators is their uh, uh, hot springs. And so... That's- so, yeah, um, so they're getting hot water from the ground to maintain the temperature in the ponds because tilapia is a tropical fish. Oh, yeah. So oh, tilapia wow. aren't natural to Colorado either. Oh my gosh. So, funny stuff. Huh. Funny stuff. I wonder who created that. Yeah. <laughs> that was well thought out. So any yeah. other questions regarding immunity, guys? Yeah, we're way off topic here. <laughs> uh, no, but that was kind of fun to talk about. It might be interesting, more interesting to our listeners than inflammation. <laughs> Physical triggers. Anything else we need to know about? So we've talked about um, the body's response to exercise and how it shoots out all of its messengers when you exercise for two or three hours. Ninjas. Right? No. It's ninjas, well, no, yes. No, no, no. Yeah, it stays, they stay active in your body and your extremities for two to three hours after about 20, 30 minutes of exercise. Okay. And then you can exercise too much, so there's kind of a fine line. Yeah, you, you, you don't want to <clears throat> weaken yourself so that you're so tired and weak after a workout, that's the time that your system is its weakest. So if you're going to go, you know, like the bodybuilders go and they, they, uh, I remember Arnold's listening to Arnold Schwarzenegger once who, who mentioned how after a workout, working, doing a leg workout, that it was hilarious to watch him bicycle home because he he had no strength (laughs) left in his legs. So that actually though, you're reaching a point to where you're now a little more susceptible if you're exposed to a pathogen because your system is in overload already because it's, the white the white blood cells are already extremely active trying to heal that area where you've gotten uh, micro tears throughout the muscles after workout. So yep. Let me ask you this. So if you, let's just talk middle of the road. If you have somebody who works out three or four times a week, what's kind of an, an average workout time for them? Obviously, four or five hours in the gym is way too much. Ten yeah. minutes probably not <laughs> Well, enough. for me, I, I, I have to admit, I, I put on a few pounds and, and not been in the gym since COVID started. In fact, it was funny. I I decided to switch gyms. I was going to switch gyms right before COVID hit. And I just canceled my membership at one place, but hadn't started at another. And then now I've just been home. And I do exercise at home, run, walk around the block, bicycle, but uh, have not been doing it as strongly as I should have been. But for that person, your question again, Eric. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sorry. So not the super athlete and not the couch potato, but middle of the road, three, four times a week. Like, what's an ideal length of workout? For oh, I'd say an hour is fine. An hour, yeah. You know, if like you're. Maybe 20 minutes cardio. Yeah, yeah, mix it up. You know, I wouldn't. If you're if you're if you're the weightlifter guy, you know, there's so many different ways people are doing it today. 
you know, I, I think I remember Schwarzenegger would go in and he'd spend many hours in the gym. Yeah. But you've got bodybuilders that go in now, you know, they'll do 45 minutes in the morning. Maybe they'll go back 45 minutes in the evening or, or change it up on days and, and not have days where they don't work out and just do really extreme exercise in that short amount of time. And, and that's enough. And they're taking all these supplements and maybe getting some added HGH or other, other illegal things that they shouldn't be putting in their bodies. But uh Funny enough, just a brief to mention, those things do uh, improve your your uh, uh, immune system function or the process of healing uh, occurs faster when you're on those kinds of things. Of course, it's being artificially done, uh, so now your system is reacting to that artificial stimulation as well. However, it does speed up the process. It speeds up the process of your bone releasing those white blood cells, those white blood cells getting you know to the thymus and off to heal the injury. Um, and the whole healing process actually speeds up, and that's why they, these guys, when they're on steroids, um, are able to work out without as many rest days as someone who's not. So we're going to start like a, heal faster. a black market supplement company for <laughs> healing. Yeah, <laughs> <for> healing. <laughs> they, uh, well, and that's one of the reasons that doctors uh, give steroids to patients. Um, you know, they get steroid shots, yeah. but the doctor's prescribing it, so then it's legal. The, yeah. the other guy's getting it from uh, Mexico, so or some other place or lab that's uh, dispensing it illegally. Um, but it does work. Problem is, it it causes damage to tissue, and one of the, one is the heart tissue. And you know, Arthur Schwarzenegger had a had a. Uh, I thought it was funny when he, he years ago he had a uh, heart surgery, and uh, I don't remember them actually linking it to the steroids, mm. but. Oh, it's a wow. common problem. Interesting. Common problem with people do steroids to to have those kinds of uh, organ organ issues later in life because because it's just overloading the system. Yeah. It's it's boosting the system to work work at its optimum level. Almost it's it's, it's just too much for the system, especially long term use of those types of substances. Anyway. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, please. Yeah, cause we all like to, We all want to know. <laughs> yes, I've been you wanting know. to try. Actually, those. we'll talk about. We'll talk. You know what? We're going to talk about though those when we have the uh, uh, gym owner come in. There you go. Him. Yeah, there you go. Definitely. Because he's a very knowledgeable in regard to that. Because I know he's got lots of athletes who come into his gym that are that are under pumped the effects up? of those. Uh, yes, pumped up. There you go. Pumped up. That's right. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So we've also discussed injury. We're talking about acute exercise injury, and then also the chronic inflammation throughout the body. Yes. Any takeaways for our listeners today? I think we've covered it all, frankly, um, unless Eric or, or, or you have any more questions. I think we've covered the topic pretty well. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about immunity uh, next on the next podcast uh, related to, uh, uh, we slightly slightly touched on it, related to uh, stress and, and immunity. Okay. Um, and so we'll pick that up next time. And uh, thanks so much for letting me talk. Yeah, thanks for explaining everything to us today. And Eric, thanks for being with us. Yes, we finally, exciting. We've, been, we've been trying to, to talk Eric into joining the show for, for several episodes now because yes. he always has great questions. And so we're happy to have Eric join the show. And he'll, he's our producer, but he'll, he'll definitely, uh, he's here to stay. So <laughs> That's thanks for, for sure. listening. He's our, pod, he's our podcast expert. In fact, Eric, for so. your first time on the show, did you want to say anything to yeah, the Yeah, why don't you tell them? about yourself it's on the spot i have nothing to say except thanks for listening and hopefully my voice sounds amazing here so yeah i'm sure it does yes <laughs> it does. yeah we're so excited to have you here and thanks for Eric, jumping try not get so don't go back and forth on the mic yeah. oh yeah it's, you know we, he's as a producer he, he's constantly telling us things we we need to do uh to 
sound better and 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 perform better. We're, we're serious here. I'm Can sorry, I play that the wasn't producer the right next word. week? Although Nikki, Nikki's a performer, right? She's she, Nikki. It, people don't know she's she's an actress. Oh, um, I'm well known. They, Just uh, look me up. <laughs> you can find her on Facebook. Yeah. Nikki Sterner. They, totally. I'm sure you already know me, though. They, uh, but but she is, yeah. as far as we're concerned, she is a celebrity <laughs> and becoming more so every day with this podcast. That's right. In my mind. Yep. Yes. For yes. all legends in our own <laughs> minds. In our own mind. <laughs> yes. And that's where it should be. They, uh, that's right. You know, it all starts you, there. If you can't believe Positive. you're a legend in your own mind, how do you expect to become a legend to, to millions? That's right. What's it say? If you believe it, you can achieve it, right? That's right. It goes That's back right. to, uh, can you read that quote one last time? Sure. The only limit to our realization of tomorrow will be our doubts of today. Fits right in. It does. Wow. You know, that's Nailed a great it. way to end. Thanks for listening, everybody, today. We look forward to continuing this topic next week on inflammation in the body and immunity. If you learned something, please tag a friend or family member. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Don't forget OceanBayNaturals.com. While we make every effort to broadcast correct information, we are still learning. We will double check all facts, but realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and art. One doctor may have a different way of doing things from another. We are simply presenting our views on how to live a healthy lifestyle that will be as evidence-based as possible. We welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. We take no money from drug or device companies. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Kel Fullerton or any guests or any contributors to the podcast or any employees, associates, or affiliates of Dr. Kel Fullerton be responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast. This blog should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis of expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. Our website, blog, and podcasts are all HIPAA compliant. While you may give your email address to subscribe to the website posts or to post information on the website blog, we will never share your email address or contact information with any third parties without your explicit permission. The contents of Health Talk with Dr. Kell podcast and the show notes are all copyrighted. All blog posts, podcasts, and show notes that are distributed to the public for free can be redistributed via hard copy or electronic copy for free only if Health Talk with Dr. Kell is included as the acknowledged author within the actual media that is being redistributed. The Health Talk with Dr. Kell podcast is a production of The Orange Stack with executive producers Dr. Kell Fullerton and Eric Hammond and host Nikki Sterling.